Welcome to another episode of Chewing the Fat. Please don't turn that fat. I'm Carlos. I'm Queena. And I'm Dr. Johnson. Seriously, guys, COVID-19 is a serious affair, although we may laugh and joke throughout the show. Understand that COVID-19 is a real serious deal, and how we prepare and protect ourselves is an even more serious matter. But first, off the back porch this week, I know y'all want to do it, especially you, Dr. Johnson, but what do you think about the debate? Uh, that was the most boring event I've seen in politics in probably 20 years since the Bob Dole, <laughs> George Bush. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> oh, goodness. Bob man. Dole went down like Pacquiao did when he got knocked out. <laughs> that, I tell you, that has to be the, the boredest debate. And, and mind you, I like Bob Dole. Uh, I was okay with George Bush, but that was one of the boringest debates I've ever seen, and this is about the same. So, oh yeah, he went back to sleep. Sleepy Joe. Joe went back to sleep. Sleepy Joe went back to sleep. Now I'll tell he you, did, man. he didn't fumble as much as usual. Bernie Sanders was surprisingly on the attack. I think he hasn't gotten the memo that the Democratic Party has decided to once again coalesce around a candidate that's not him. Right. Due to his socialist views. And I don't see Bernie going down without swinging. I mean, he was swinging for the fences. He attacked Joe Biden for his past votes and his past political activities. From this standpoint, he was saying that the banking laws that were enacted, the criminal justice three strikes, that Joe Biden was a part of, of those legislative initiatives. And he really did not back off him. I was surprised. I thought it would be more of a substantive debate about the difference between the two. And he's making the difference between the two, Joe Biden's past history. And I think that's a losing cause. He came out swinging and he had to come out swinging because he's drowning. That is what drowning people do. He's grasping right now. Um, he dog paddling, no man. Yeah, he dog paddling. <laughs> he reaching for air. It's really unfortunate because he does have the youth around him. But guess what? Twitter votes don't count. So unless he gets the youth off the couch and off Twitter, all of that is for not. It's not going to help him. I'm telling you. And one thing about Bernie. Bernie got gusto, man. He's not going to quit. <laughs> you know what you expect? He's a New Yorker. Forget he, about it. <laughs> he's, he's not going to quit. And hopefully he doesn't make the same mistake as he did in 2016. He needs to know. And I'm going to take a line from Rocket when to throw in the damn towel. He needs to throw in the towel. All right, Nick. Dr. Johnson, man, what do you think about that press conference, though? So, uh, and, and I know people are going to have their take on And no, I'm not a Trump apologist. And no, I'm not excusing uh, the error of his conversation, right? Because if you listen to the president. Yeah, but you, we've all you seen, do be tugging on him as government, though. You do. Well, I try to be a centrist. And from this standpoint, when we first started this process, it was a lot of bluster. It was like watching The Apprentice. <laughs> he was giving. <laughs> See, there you go, plugging him again. No, I'm not plugging him. That's actually an insult from this standpoint. He treated. Queen, he always plugging 45, ain't he? Well, it, it, was, it was more of a standpoint that it was more about him trying to bluster and bolster. He was being a salesman. We all know this guy's a real estate developer. So he was being a salesman. 
He was trying to ease people's concerns about the stock market. We saw the stock market drop. Now, it was the wrong thing to do. I understand what he was doing, but it was absolutely the wrong thing to do. You're the commander in chief. Your concern shouldn't be the, the New York Stock Exchange. Of course, we all worry about money. We want to be financially secure, but there is no wealth without health. And that has to be your first priority. And that was not his first priority. We've seen over the last few days how his message has changed since that press conference. But I tell you, that was an absolute disaster to see him have a conversation about COVID-19 and then to turn around and have his own <laughs> his own cabinet have a different message than he had or him to go out and contradict them after they spoke. So, yeah, that was an absolute travesty. You you show up politically correct. <laughs> Dr. Johnson is very politically correct. He don't want to say it for what it is. He screwed the pooch. And basically, they had to go behind him and contradict everything he said. Now, lucky for the American people, today, he finally had a press conference that was worth something. And he finally admitted that the United States is not in a good place. And this is a state of emergency. So... That's as close as I'm going to get to giving 45 any credit that he finally corrected himself today. It's freezing over. It's freezing over. <laughs> That's all you're going to get from me. <laughs> all right, guys. Why can't I find toilet paper? <laughs> <laughs> but hey, guys, seriously, this COVID-19 is some of the worst we've ever seen, man. You know, especially in our particular generation. I understand we expect a lot from our president. We're not going to get it, but we expect a lot. We expect a lot from government as well. But I think in terms of securing your own survival, you have to look out for number one. We were all born inherently with the sense of self-preservation. So it should be kicking in at this time, isolating ourselves, not being in too many crowds, making sure that we wash our hands for at least 20 seconds frequently, all of those things. But I want to hear Queen's take on this. Well, what do you think the government's role should be? Um, first of all, I think that the government needs to be honest. And just as we just said, we haven't had that. We've had blunders and flusters and flubbubs. And so the people of this country has not been able to trust the government. So hopefully now, you know, going forward, we'll be able to trust what the government says Never. and hopefully calm this mass hysteria that's been going on. I would like to point to two cities that's doing it right. So in my research, I looked at other areas. Who's getting it right? And right now, Singapore and Hong Kong has less than 200 cases. Why is that? And it is because their government got in front of it. They started the social distancing early. They got the test out to people early. They got ahead of it. They calmed the mass hysteria. They ensured that they had the things that they needed so that people wouldn't go to the stores and the shelves would be empty. So it is possible for, for countries to handle this thing right. Agree. That's the government. That's the government's role. Agree. And and just drawing on my experience uh, in the military as a respiratory therapist, Queen, you, everything you said is right on the nose. We're in a precarious position for the simple fact that we don't know how many are truly infected, and I think that's really 
where we can be irritated with the government from that standpoint that we shouldn't have waited till the virus showed up on our shores oh, yeah. or showed up in our country before we develop an efficient delivery mechanism for our tests. So that's the big piece. Because it's, it's hard to get a grip on what you're actually doing until you actually have enough tests available to get a large enough sample size, right? You know, my favorite thing, let's look at the data. So until we get that data in, I think that's causing a lot of the panic and hysteria at this point, because until you have real numbers to take a look at and understand of where your, your hotspots are, we know that, for instance, in Italy, they have specific hotspots and you identify them. And like you were saying, let's give shouts out to people that are doing it right. I know in New York, New Rochelle, that they've called in the National Guard, they've quarantined, they know that area is a hot spot. So long as we continue to take these tactics, we will definitely come out on the other side of this. We will, as a nation, come together. It, again, long as we heed the advice of our professionals and our healthcare providers, and I definitely want to make a, another point of if you are not sick, don't run to the doctor. Don't be the hypochondriac that every time you feel a cough or a sniffle and you don't have sustained symptoms, don't go run into the doctor. You will overtax our healthcare system. And that's something that's going to really affect a person that could be critically ill or seriously ill. They can't get care because you're sitting in the bed because you're paranoid. Maybe give it a day or two of symptoms, not, oh, I coughed, I sneezed, let me run to the doctor. Please don't do that. Yeah, the way I look at that is you're running towards gunfire. All the sick people flooding the doctor's office in the hospital. So you're basically going around a Petri dish. That's the Sheldon Cooper approach from Big Bang, right? <laughs> <laughs> I got to admit, I do, I do love some Sheldon. <laughs> I do too. You know? <laughs> hey, that's Dr. Johnson ain't no Sheldon, man. But you know what? You can say what you want to say. By you making a reference, you're familiar as well. That means you've been watching it also. Oh, that's, yeah, of course. Love that show. Now, I have a few issues with it, but that's another conversation. But I love that show. Let me ask you this, though. What do y'all think about this cat out of Tennessee, man, Matt Carvin? You know the guy that was stockpiling all the hand sanitizer and disinfecting wipes? Tell us about him. This guy, man, called he and his brother, man, they was eyeing up all of the hand sanitizer and disinfectant wipes within the Tennessee and Kentucky area. Wow. Basically, what they were doing is they anticipated coming to the United States to start buying it up before any record of any confirmed cases hit the U.S. shores. So they were profiteering. Yeah, because they were Amazon sellers. That's how this guy made his living for like the last three years. It's no different from the stock market, but as I said in earlier episodes, what people in this country has done in the past to progress, once they progress, they turn around and make it illegal to duplicate what they did to get to where they are in the first place. Is that a reference to, for instance, like wartime? Like we all saw the movie Annie and Daddy Warbucks, and they called him Daddy Warbucks because they called him a war profiteer because they made money from the war. So you're saying that once that model has been established, someone has taken advantage of it, that loophole gets closed? I knew you was going to come at it from the big brain perspective. <laughs> hey, man. Hey, this ain't picking the brain. 
but did you see the rest of the story? So unfortunately for him, Amazon pulled his items and now he ain't got nowhere to sell them. So the joke's on him. Exactly. And on top of that, the attorney general trying to prosecute it. And, and price gouging. Price gouging. And that should happen. So the state of emergency, right? The national state of emergency. If it hasn't happened in your state, a lot of states are declaring a state of emergency that through that process, it makes a lot of these activities illegal. And that will be a consistent standard throughout this pandemic now that those have been declared. So that will uh, help deal with a lot of those activities. Okay, so you made reference to the lackluster response that we received from government in the wake of this pandemic, Dr. Johnson. When we look at it from a historical standpoint, mm-hmm. our government hasn't had a record of good response time. Well, let's frame it first. And in doing research for this show, we've had other pandemics. Because I think sometimes that we lose perspective. And I think history has job of giving us that perspective. When we talk about one of the, the largest pandemics ever hit, right? Bubonic plague. Well, no, let's keep it in modern history. That's more... In antiquity. Well, not so much antiquity, but that was during the Dark Ages. But let's talk about something from 1918. They called it the Spanish flu, incorrectly. But the influenza pandemic of 1918 and the millions of lives that were lost around the world. 50 million. It was estimated at that time that 50 to 100 million people died. So let's look at what technology has done for us, how we're able to communicate and how that's really changed. Because even though we always seek to do better, but if we frame it within history and what we've improved and gotten better at, yes, we have the right to be upset and outraged that in this information age that we should have been better prepared. But let's not forget that we are light years ahead of where we've been in the past when these type of uh, pandemics have occurred. So, and that, that even- Yeah, because they have vaccinations back then. True, but again, even without the vaccinations that the steps that are taken, because we've had H1N1 swine flu. They love naming it for an animal that they think it, it's come from. Uh, HIV, I know people don't see it in the same light, but it is. It's something that was spread from a localized area and went around the world. It was showed up on every continent. That was a pandemic. Yep. So, what animal did that come from? Uh, I'm not touching that one. <laughs> <laughs> so again, yeah. go ahead. I was just gonna say you. You're right, Doctor Johnson. HIV from 2005 to recently has killed about 36 million. So HIV was absolutely a pandemic. Right. And we don't even talk about it in the same terms, which is disappointing. But again, let's frame it in history, right? With those activities that took place. The West Nile virus, not of the same ilk, but still a a health scare. So when we talk about these, right, going from pandemic to endemic, Right. We have epidemic, pandemic and endemic. Preach. Epidemic. <laughs> we see it happening. Pandemic is spread everywhere. And then endemic. That means that virus has now become a part of our everyday. Like, for instance, the flu is seasonal for us. Get your flu vaccine. That's endemic. That's a part of our culture. Now we deal with the flu. We deal with the cold. So the one thing that we have to really focus on, and I think we demand of our modern medicine 
is that we take something that may be an epidemic or a pandemic and it never becomes endemic or ingrained within our society. And that's our demand of our modern medicine and of all of the access to information that we have. And what we have to be careful of is that when we talk to our government about things that we expect them to be doing, is the expectation that they're putting processes in place, right? Tests, those tests should not, again, we're having conversations, they're clapping hands about 1.5 million tests being made available. But last time I checked, there were 360 million Americans. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I have an issue with that. Population control. <laughs> All conspiracy theories. All good. No, nah, man. But seriously, you know, what you were just referring to, man, it implies a partnership with the scientific community. To make advances, it requires investment. You know, and our government doesn't have a good track record in partnering with the scientific community. Well, unfortunate, but true. However, it still has to be that when we talk about scientific community, we talk about what's measurable and scalable. When they give us this information that is scalable, everything shouldn't be released. Everything shouldn't be shared to an extent in that you don't want to cause so not to induce panic. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to, you don't want to cause hysteria. I am proud, and Queen of May referenced to this earlier, that Donald Trump did come out and say that, hey, look, this is bad, this is serious, and that's going to make a huge difference. And he even, and I think people aren't paying attention to that aspect, he mentioned July and August until we really see a decline in the peak of this virus. However, I would caution, because I know people are looking at the news and saying, well, only 5,000 infected, 86 dead. Well, why are we really worried? We have not seen the peak of this pandemic. <laughs> there he is on that coattail again, Queen. All the time. There he is. We Well, we have to come together as a nation. If we're going to beat this, it's going to take all of us working together, hands down. Because I tell you, if you have one sector of this society that doesn't listen or believe. And I tell you, go to Fox News. It may have been a Democratic hoax on Friday, but if you looked at Fox News today, I was looking at the five this evening on Fox News, and they were all six feet apart, and they had to have six different cameras Wow! in order to capture them. And that's what I mean. Come together. It has to be one united message. Okay, so I just wanted to, um, I wanted to circle back to we were discussing... Um, historically how pandemics, you know, affect uh, people in communities and countries. And so one thing I found that hasn't changed um, is human behavior. So, um, you know, humans have always reacted this way. Um, the, the labor supply has always been affected. There's always been increased absenteeism um, on jobs and trade with other countries. So historically, you know, we can look at these things. We, we, um, and as Dr. Johnson mentioned, we should have been better prepared because, uh, and, and Carlos, I'll take a feather out of our grandmother's head. Huh. You know, there's nothing new under the sun, oh, man. as the old people say. So we, we should have been better prepared for this because, um, historically these things have occurred and, <clears throat> economies react the same and people's behavior react the same. So the fact that we didn't get a, get in front of it, um, you know, is, is disheartening and disappointing. 
Um, I'm not going to give 45 no more uh, ups, but I'm glad that we have made a pivot and turned the corner. <laughs> you know what, Queen? You raised a good point. When you really think about it, it is almost cyclical when you look at everything on a timeline. Right. Dr. Johnson, to what extent you think it's going to affect the population? So at this point, going back to the title of the show, Why Can't I Find Toilet Paper? It goes to something that I'm glad the president mentioned today. He said, stop hoarding. You know, look out for your neighbor. And that's probably been the most disappointing aspect of it, because I don't think the correlation has been made between shutting down arenas, making sure you're not in large gatherings, doesn't mean that the truck driver can't show up at your grocery store and deliver all of your, your necessities. Regardless of the reassurance and the conversations, Trump mentioned today that he met with the executives of the grocery store chains and they assured him that our supply uh, chain is intact, that we have to keep reiterating that because I know what I've seen in Texas and what I've never thought I'd see in my lifetime. And, and again, this is, this is unique to us or new to us, regardless if we've read about it, it's different experiencing it. But walking into the grocery store and seeing the shelves empty, <laughs> yeah. I tell you, that was jarring. And then to turn around, too, when I got to the counter and they said, well, you went over your ration of milk. I was like, oh, OK. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can't talk about people's behavior of hoarding and not look at the root cause. And so the reason the hoarding started is because people mistrust the government. Mm. If he had come out initially and on this thing, and as the children say, stood 10 toes down in it and was truthful and let people know what's happening, then we wouldn't have had the toilet paper shortage. But because, you know, the back and forth and this and that and the tweets and the misinformation, then he put his boy in charge who's standing there looking like a zombie. You know, people showed on trust Pence. So what are folks to do? Go out and get your toilet. Well, so Queen, I have to say, man, to a certain degree, you're right. You know, I think ultimately at the end of the day, you know, I think we crap the bed when it comes to the response and how we handle the message to the public. But at the same time, as Dr. Johnson stated, you have to manage perceptions so as to not evoke panic right. and mass hysteria. So there has to be that healthy balance, in my opinion. I would also, not defending them. You can't defend him because I would also be remiss if I did not also mention that he fired the department that handles pandemics in 2018. <laughs> How? Yeah, How? I can't defend that one. Yeah. We can't come on. We can't defend it. I now, can't we, defend here that we one. are in this situation and the government agency that is responsible for handling pandemics have been fired. Come on, 45. I would like to reiterate that when it comes to human responses, we give our government too much credit or blame, right? It's like the NFL quarterback. They win, they get all the credit. When they lose, they get all the blame. I think they get too much of it from the standpoint of he was trying to be reassuring and they still panic. So I think a lot of that goes to human nature. Honestly, I hate to say this, but I think part of it is our culture from this standpoint. All the movies that we watch, we love our zombie movies, our doomsday movies. And I think part of this is just an ingrained response, right? I'm going to be the last one to survive. I'm going to be ready. 
I think that's part of a cultural response, too, when it comes to Americans. We're survivors. We're winners. And we're hoarders. Yeah, we're arrogant. That's an animalistic response. As I said earlier, that goes back to self-preservation. And you know what? You're right. Because my mama didn't have to go buy nothing. She is a doomsday prepper. <laughs> <laughs> all the laundry detergent, all the toilet tissue, all the paper towels, she already had it. She didn't need to go to the store. <laughs> hey, it must be a street from Louisiana thing because my mama did the same thing. No, no, it's not the same. My wife is going to kill me for this one. So I'll, I'll go ahead and get my couch ready for this comment. But my wife, <laughs> my wife's aunt is a couponer, right? Extreme. She has coupons for everything. And oftentimes she'll just send us uh, boxes of stuff because she's just couponed so much. The basement in Chicago at my wife's family home, I tell you, she has stuff everywhere. So I can guarantee you she's ready. Wow. <laughs> That kind of backtracks to our generational divide. Look who ready and who uh, ain't. Ain't a man. <laughs> I tell you, this generation, these millennials, they're not taking it serious. And again, Queen, it goes to your conversation in our last show that maybe we're not doing a great job of passing down these traditions and these habits and these perceptions, but they are not taking it serious. You know what I did this weekend? I went and looked at a prom dress in the mall for a prom that probably won't be happening, but a prom dress in the mall. Right. And the mall was packed. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So they not doing nothing. Gen X has had to go to the store and the boomers already had. They didn't need to go to the store. <laughs> that was it. Hey, man. But y'all made reference to having to do a better job, man. I, I you know, apparently I did a poor job because my daughter called me earlier today and she was like, Daddy, I can't find any toilet paper. <laughs> And I was like, did you miss the memo? <laughs> Admittedly, I already said that. I don't do social media or anything like that. But, you know, even I was aware of what's going on and knew to try to get ahead of it and get some toilet paper. But she was calling me all distraught that I can't find any toilet paper. Well, hey, you know, you should have been prepared. Now you finna come over here and raid my closet, you know, <laughs> and cut into my stash of TP. I'm like, man, come on. But seriously, though, Queen, you made reference to this new generation. What are they going to do if, for heaven's sakes, the grocery store is closed? Half of these people don't even know how to prepare their own meals. So once the restaurants close, even I know now they've been limited to the drive-thrus, at least here in Louisiana. Texas, too. But once the restaurants close, period, because of like maybe someone contracted in a restaurant or whatever, but once they close altogether, what is this new generation going to do? I have no idea, but I saw the best tweet yesterday. It said that Gen Xers are going to make it through because we're the latchkey kids, right? We were at home by ourselves. We can make it on oodles and noodles and cereal. Good luck, millennials. <laughs> the latchkey kids are going to be all right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was that latchkey kid that was in the kitchen at nine years old because I was a hefty kid. <laughs> I was always at war with my appetite. So I learned how to cook at an early age in the experiment. Nine years old. Hey, until they shut down Starbucks, this generation won't see it as a state of an emergency. But let them not be able to get a latte. It'll all change. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
One thing we haven't touched on is tourism and transportation and retail and the flights are cheap right now. My best friend called me and told me to come back to California because I can get a flight for $37. No, thank you, her man. (laughs) (laughs) You can keep that one. Well, the unfortunate behavior and the unfortunate aspect of all of this, and I see Congress acting to pass laws that'll help our middle to lower class workers who work from check to check and aren't on salary or can't be at home working from a computer. I think that as this progresses, that part of our population, when we talk about behavior, we talk about the effects on our society, they're really going to suffer from this process. I really hope that we develop some type of aid package and process to help these families. The 22 million kids that rely on school lunches every day that are, again, low-income families. So this is really, when you talk about the wealth gap in this country, that this is really going to hit our lower, and I hate to say lower class, our low socioeconomic demographics of this country. If you're a waitress relying on tips, remember your paycheck is 4 or $3 an hour and you're relying on tips. Well, if they're only going through drive throughs they're not getting those tips. And then to even think about the parents that can't afford childcare, how that kid becomes, the older kid becomes a child care giver. If you don't have an older child, what happens to you when you can't go to work? You need to go to work. You're an hourly employee. There definitely needs to be something done to help with those aspects. Absolutely. And the unforeseen cost of child care. So I'll use myself as an example. Um, you know, my son He's in school, right? Schools are closed. So I either have to look at putting him in a daycare, which daycare facilities are still open, or I have to pay someone to come into my home to watch him. So those are costs that people didn't plan on having. And everybody doesn't have discretionary income to just pull out the sky and pay for childcare. Yeah. And I think about the Stafford Act. I was reading through that. The Stafford Act is what we enact in times of national emergencies, usually for hurricanes, not typically for health issues. But what we're going to have to do is in the future, look at shoring up those legislative acts to where we can at least allow everyday life in this country to continue. Now, I know there are going to be some that won't agree with this type of aid, but if that sector of society doesn't make it or they have a hard time, you talk about panic and hysteria, that would really cause it in the time of a national emergency. Did Carlos fall asleep? Nope. I'm still here. <laughs> she needs to talk, though. Quinn, share with us the resource that you sent to me, the, one, the Facebook group that's putting together an online curriculum for educators. So, parents, if you are out there and you're considering online education, please consider Laurel Springs School. They provide a great curriculum if you're looking for your child for something to do while they're sitting at home, as well as Connections Academy. I was very fortunate to work for an online school that does provide curriculum for the K-12 space. Even younger children, they do provide project-based. So if you're worried about your child, you know, being too young to log on, they have different modalities that they utilize for smaller children. So they do have a project-based curriculum. There's also a text-based curriculum for kids that are too small um, to get online. Also, for students who are in the higher ed space, 
um, they're, they are also making the transition um, to doing classes online or even hybrid classes. And so we have those students that are in medical programs um, that are concerned about their clinical rotation. So make sure that you that they are checking in with their schools um, in regards to the clinical rotation and also how they're going to get their didactic portion. So some campuses are staying open one or two days a week so that those students that are on clinicals are able to continue to continue um, and finish that. So like I said, some schools are doing hybrid. Some schools are going all online. And there is a Facebook group called K-12 Learning Possibilities. And in pandemic times, a group of educators got together and started this Facebook group. And they're also sharing resources. Um, so, for example, Zoom, the CEO of Zoom has made it free um, for educators and uh, I actually saw one of my uh, one of my Saras, who's a teacher today. She said, "Thank God for Zoom." So Zoom is a really easy platform uh, to use. Again, he's made it free. Uh, so please take a look at the free options that are out there that are making on transitioning to online feasible. Excellent. I do want to go back to my tirade. Wash your hands, nasty people. Wash your Hands. Cleanliness is next to godliness, huh, man? <laughs> <laughs> That's what my granny said. So I would like to, I think we'd be remiss. We've always said on this show that we'd like to offer solutions, some positive thoughts. And what I would like to definitely share with everyone is the fact that, one, heed the word of local, state, and federal officials that wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. So I'm going to go a little off script and be a little unprofessional and saying that we've all seen these rascals in the bathroom. Now, I'm not saying that because we're in the middle of a pandemic that we should say something to them. <laughs> but all I'm saying is give them a look and just say, come on, man. That's why we're in a situation we're here now, because people just don't watch. You've seen that rascal walk out the bathroom and give you that look like, yeah. I didn't wash my hands. What are you going to do about it, buddy? That's home training, man. Oh, that's an issue with me. I'd also like to encourage everyone to check your school districts. As Dr. Johnson mentioned, this hits lower socioeconomic families harder. And so a lot of school districts have decided to open up schools for meals. So check your school districts to see what schools are open and passing out meals so that these students don't go hungry. Excellent. Excellent. Ad. Man, we in some tumultuous times. When you consider the circumstances and what options that you have, man, A lot of people are ill-prepared. Dr. Johnson, as you alluded earlier, the vast majority of people in the country live paycheck to paycheck and to go two weeks or a month without a paycheck, man, that's devastating. devastating. Crippling to a family that depends on that, especially if it's a single income family. So when you consider our present circumstances and dealing with this pandemic and the effects that it have on the global population, not just the U.S. population, 
It's terrifying. Well, the one thing I would like to just kind of close out this segment by saying is that I believe in the American spirit. Patriot. I believe, and I, I know you, you heard me talk about how arrogant we can be at times, but the one thing that uh, I tell you that we have always done, we have overcome. That's one thing we know how to do in American society. We know how to roll up our sleeves and do what's necessary to be the best in the world. And I think that will continue. And I think that will show. Uh, I'm just hoping that as the stock market falls, that I can wait about five years and get some of my money back. So that's my hope. right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> Dr. Johnson, man, I got to give you credit, man. You you know, you straddle the line perfectly. You don't swerve or nothing. Because every episode you come with this patriotic 45 coattail pulling stuff but then you always come back and kind of dip on the other side of the fence as well you know that's some considerable skill i have to give you credit well, about you that. Gotta realize the one thing I've, I've come to realize personally most americans aren't extreme leftists or extreme right they are sensible and if you tell them something sensible you have conversations in a sensible manner People will listen. I just believe that. Everybody but 45 followers, <laughs> they're not sensible. But come on. I, I can't give you that one. I could not do it. I could not sit here. And Queen, he don't even realize that he been tugging on the hem of 45 government and made reference to the great Dr. King in the same segment. In the same segment, yeah. I, I can't. I could not in good conscience and good faith sit here and let him say that most Americans, you know, got good sense. Nope, not 45 followers. Have you watched a rally? No. Not gonna happen. Now, so now, okay, Hillary Clinton. Oh. Oh, oh. That was below the belt. Well, but my thing is, <laughs> that well, but here's the good. thing. But you know what? I will be a nasty no, woman. No, no, no. I and, didn't say that. I will be Listeners, a nasty woman. I did not say and that. You call me Hillary, so we can go there. No, the I didn't. Because the basket of deplorables are just. <laughs> <laughs> you can't, see, you can't just lump people into one category and write them off. That's not the American way. We're going to move on. We're going to move on. To <laughs> hey, she said, but I'll be, I, I be the nasty woman. Don't be like your sorority sister. <laughs> you over here acting like, like you're going to turn into Cheryl Underwood or something. <laughs> no. Uh-uh. Uh, Donna Brazil on Free I know her, man. But no, man, this week in excellence, I just want to give a shout out to this guy, Officer Jack Norman. He hails from Little Rock, Arkansas, representing the South. But this police officer, man, he takes his time and he does some phenomenal things with it. To be honest with you, I don't see how he fits it all throughout the day. That coupled with police work, that make you kind of question, you know, his job as a cop. But this guy, man, no, seriously, listen to what this guy does. This is a day in the life of Tommy Norman. He goes around to the different bus stops at school, you know, hands out the kids snacks and breakfast. Sometimes at the different bus stops, he sits there and pray with them and wish them a good day at school. He also visits the nursing home. He cares for the elderly and the handicapped. And he even takes the less fortunate out for like lunch or breakfast on a weekly basis. And he takes care of this autistic family in his community. You know, go get the little boys haircuts and the little girls hair done. He just helps them develop their social skills just by taking them out and doing little activities with them. He also brings awareness to his community through his Facebook page. 
and he has his own foundation through which he provide like gifts and necessities to families that are in need in this Arkansas community, man. So I think that this guy is doing some phenomenal things. He's achieved national recognition. He's been on CNN. He's been on the Today Show. Everyone is aware of what this guy's been doing. Everybody kind of took notice to this guy around 2015, but he's been doing it well before then and long after since. So, you know, big shout out to Officer Tommy Norman, especially in the wake of the situation that led to Black Lives Matter and the negative connotation that comes with police officers. It's just kind of refreshing to see these type of cases out there in America. I love it. I love it. The fact that you chose a public servant. Me too. I think our public servants often don't get the praise and the recognition that they deserve. And to understand that he's in a precarious position, that it's tough in some aspects to be a police officer in today's society, and that he didn't let that bother him. He reached out to his community. I remember the days of me being a kid. Police officers were a part of the community. They weren't someone that you had to run and hide from. They were actually there to talk to you, assist you, and be a helping hand and not an adversary. So I love it, and I hope that that example is followed throughout the country. That is awesome. You know what I really like about it, Dr. Johnson? Like you said, he didn't let the negative connotation of police officers in America. He didn't let that deter him from being who he is to the people of that community. He didn't let it define him. Exactly. Basically, what he did was he turned the negative perception of police, which would, of course, be perceived as a weakness. He turned a weakness to a strength. He took that perception of police from a negative to a positive, and that made him a beloved person in his community. Absolutely. Absolutely. I hope that other officers follow suit and, and he set the example and I hope it catches on. It needs to. In the wake of, you know, police shootings in America, you know, it needs to drastically improve and rapidly. <laughs> like Crazy Joe said on the movie, most expeditiously. Oh, which Crazy Joe? Was that Joe Biden? No. He coming with the low blows tonight. That's below the belt. Oh, Oh, I'm sorry. Flag on the plane. Uh, you must didn't see. So Joe Biden called himself. So we talk about the generational divide and that sometimes that baby boomers should be kept away from technology. So Joe Biden did a virtual town hall in Illinois and, and they showed it on the news tonight. And so the whole time he's facing the computer, talking to the computer and the camera is on him, but it's on the side of his face the whole town hall as he's facing the computer and you don't see his face at all. You just see the side of his head. <laughs> <laughs> that was Joe Biden's virtual town hall. Hilarious. Man. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. Cause when they president, they can catch any side of his head. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh, buddy. Goodness. Somebody must have put some melatonin in his dinner or something. He went back to sleep. <laughs> hey, like babies say before they can fully you know, say, he sleep. <laughs> so, Joe Biden, please wake up. Please. <laughs> but no, seriously, guys, um, closing remarks. Ladies first, of course. Miss Queen, ladies first. Always.
I don't mind going first. I just love to tell everyone out there, always remember that you are braver than you believe. You are stronger than you seem. You're smarter than you think. And you are loved more than you know. Stay safe, stay healthy, and wash your hands. (laughs) I love it. I would just like to kind of reiterate those aspects. Again, uh, my background in respiratory therapy, we're dealing with a respiratory illness. And in closing, just want to talk about some of the aspects that you really need to think about, uh, some hygienic practices that you make sure that when you cough, put it in the crook of your arm. When you sneeze, put it in the crook of your arm. That when you're going to the restroom, wash your hands. We've said that a thousand times. But when you touch surfaces, understand that when you're out in public, that people before you have touched that door, that you keep hand sanitizer in the vehicle. But hand sanitizer does not excuse you from washing your hands. That even though you use hand sanitizer on your hands, you still have those dead germs on your hand. You need to wash them off. That it is a great intermediary action before you can get to washing your hands, but you need to wash your hands. So if you're thinking about walking around with a surgical mask, a surgical mask stops people from getting an infection from you when you have an infection. Wow. So let me say that again. A surgical mask stops other people from getting an infection from you when you have an infection, not from you getting an infection from other people. The only thing that keeps you safe is an N95 mask. Now, just because you buy an N95 mask doesn't mean it's going to work because you have not had it properly fitted. Fitted means you go in to see a special a, a physician or a respiratory therapist, whoever running the exam, they give you the banana smell test. They like, put the fumes under the mask, and at the point where you cannot smell the fumes, that means the mask is effective. So unless you've had that done, so those of you hoarding N95 masks, it means nothing without the equipment to test it and to make sure that it's fit to you properly. So just take those things uh, in, in mind as you as you move forward. Listeners, once again, um, we're here to offer information. We're here to be useful uh, to you. Uh, and hopefully, if you haven't gotten your information from any other place that you've gotten some, some knowledge and some information about COVID-19 on this podcast. So with that being said, uh, make sure uh, when you look at our link uh, that comes out that you can send an email. If you want to leave messages or comments about the show, make sure you like us. We're available on seven different platforms, Spotify being uh, the most known of those platforms, but we're also on Google Podcasts. Uh, if you want to listen to us on there and share us with a friend. Uh, if you're having a great time listening to us, share us with a friend. And now you can have conversations about uh, your favorite uh, person on our personality on our show. And again, if you want to send in topics that you want us to cover, uh, we love those, even though I keep getting shot down on certain topics, but it is what it is. You be getting shot down on them topics because you always be trying to pull on the hem of fortified garment. <laughs> and we are not going to talk about diamond and pearls. <laughs> you would not let that go. She won't let it go, Dr. Johnson. Diamond and pearls is actually a Prince song. This is actually Silk and Diamond are the the commentator well, whoever we ain't talking about them <laughs> i've never said i support them i'm just saying that we are a fair and balanced show 
and we are open to all opinions. I agree. I, I agree, Dr. Johnson. We open to all opinions. <laughs> Everybody, you know, entitled to have one. But, Queen, what are your closing remarks? I already said them. Yeah, she did, Carlos. <laughs> It's you. To be honest with y'all, I don't have any closing remarks. I think you guys summed everything up perfectly. I would just like to say that, guys, you know, these are tumultuous times. We really need to take things super seriously. A lot of items that we need to help us through this situation is actually on back order, so the availability is not there. I already alluded earlier to those guys who were stockpiling it, the government. Those local governments actually seized that product and distributed it to those in need in their particular counties. But, guys, we really, really need to take it seriously and, you know, try not to be in, you know, large crowds or large gatherings of people. Take the sanitation seriously. Wash your hands several times per day for at least 20 seconds. You know, use some antibacterial soap. You know, hand sanitizer, any kind of disinfectant, just to kind of protect yourself. And that's pretty much all I had, you know. But to be honest with you, I did have a closing question. And that's for either of you guys, Dr. Johnson or Queen. But, man, what y'all think about the snake oil salesman, man, Jim Baker? <laughs> Selling that silver solution to people. Talking about it can cure the coronavirus. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, lock oh, him up. no. Lock him up. Look, this is the one time you're going to hear me uh, really agree with Dr. Johnson. Lock him up. Lock him up. That's ridiculous. Tell me about it, man. It's so bad, man. You know, people, you know how people are, man. You know, especially the people devoid of hope. They're, they, You know, they're susceptible to anything, man. People's actually buying this stuff. So much so to where the state of Missouri actually suing this cat behind that. Yes. We have laws against that, right? We had snake oil salesmen, right, in the uh, early 20th century that got away with this crap. Uh, but we have laws against that now. So, yeah, uh, prosecute them to the fullest extent of the law. And throw them under the jail. That's it. Well, once again, guys, I appreciate you guys for listening. We welcome all new listeners. As Dr. Johnson said earlier, like, share, subscribe. Leave us a voicemail if you're listening on the Anchor platform or shoot us an email at chewingthefat at gmail.com. We are available on Spotify and several other platforms, so give us a listen. Send us an email with suggested topics. Give us some feedback. You know, I look at feedback as a gift. It's almost like an open book test. I know what I need to do to improve, and it makes everything a little bit simpler. You know, we definitely want to cater to our audience and provide you guys with some useful but worthy entertainment. Accurate. Accurate entertainment, yeah. Yes, thank you guys. 